sinful woman forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of them both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace luke 7 verses 36 to 50. today we're going to continue our sermon series called just eat where we are looking through the gospel of luke at uh, instances where Jesus had a meal with friends and others and we would be looking at what we can learn from how those meals went what happened what was Jesus trying to teach uh, those at the meal and of course us as we watch from our distance uh, through the pages of God's word and today as we've heard already we're going to think about the meal that Jesus had with the Pharisee where a woman came in and broke the alabaster jar and uh, perfume filled the room and she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Um, this was a, a shocking event um, for, for anyone in the room, really. Um, it was particularly shocking for the Pharisees. So we're going to look at why that is. We're going to look at why Jesus reacted the way he did, the way Jesus saw things and the way the Pharisees saw things. And then we're going to draw some conclusions about how we might conduct ourselves around meals and uh, just things that we can learn about God's kingdom as we walk uh, this walk of faith together. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll crack on. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your care. Thank you that you see uh, through the externals to the heart. Lord, that's both uh, scary and reassuring. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you do look in, to our hearts you're not surprised to what you find there and that your gospel your death and resurrection is sufficient to deal with everything that you have found that your love draws us into your presence close to you where you want to teach us about what it means to be followers of you so help us today lord jesus we pray help us to understand your word help as it unfolds before us to uh, to draw all the things that you'd want us to learn from it today amen i wonder what uh, is the most memorable meal you've ever had. 
I'll give you a minute or two just to think about that. We had lots of, I mean, we eat every day, obviously, don't we? It's such a common thing. Some of us eating on the go, some of us eating in front of the TV, some of us eating with families and sometimes with friends and even more lately being able to go out again and eat in restaurants and coffee shops and things. And the, the joy of doing that with company for me is, a, is one of life's great joys, actually. But what is the most memorable meal that you've ever you've ever had I wonder I, I was thinking about this of course and um, I've had the privilege um, just in my job of traveling all around the world really and and a great honor to be part of different cultural meals and some of those have really stood out I was just thinking uh, of one where we uh, we were deep in the Kenyan uh, jungle at a wedding and uh, the two families that were uh, where the, the the bride and the groom were from, literally danced towards each other through uh, the jungle. Absolutely beautiful. That was the beginning of the wedding feast. They, it was just absolutely wonderful. These two families that were joining together uh, at the beginning of the feast. I, I never forget it. I'll never forget it. Um, and then, and then, just a, a complete contrast that uh, I, I also remember as a young, uh, a much younger guy, going being invited to someone's house in a church we were in, uh, in a different part of the country, and uh, and not realizing I was being invited for a, a meal, and so we ar- arrived having eaten dinner, to find that it was a substantially large meal, including those, and some of you will love these, and some of you will understand my trepidation the, the large sort of dry boiled potato kind of w- was a big part of the meal and um so i i i didn't say anything uh, <laughs> and i ate my way through the meal only to be offered you know a second helping which i then also ate as well um it just was one of those ones you think oh my goodness i think i just was probably visibly sweating by the end of the of the of, two, of the two courses but memorable uh, it was and then of course many other meals we could think about uh, as well uh, this was a meal that Jesus was invited to a meal uh, that uh, the Pharisee had thrown in his home uh, which wouldn't have been uncommon and to understand this story and to really kind of get what was going on we need to understand how meals would have been conducted in this part of the world in this culture at this time um, so I'm going to put a picture up now just to let you see. But essentially what would happen was that the, the meals would be uh, kind of conducted around three sides of a square with tables in the middle. The, the, the fourth side of the square would have been open so that the servants and, and others could have come and uh, kind of serve more food. And the three sides of the square where the guests were would, would have been kind of loungy type beds. So literally you would lie down. Um, and eat this meal. Don't know what that would do to your digestion. I imagine you'd get serious indigestion if you did that, but that's how they did things. And your feet would be pointing outwards of the circle, and your head's pointing inwards, and you'd be uh, kind of elbow up on some cushions and things. It was pretty decadent, I guess. Um, some historians say that you, what, you know, in the, the answer to the question, why would you lie down to eat a meal, would be, well, this was a sign that you felt very secure that you weren't expecting to be attacked. It was a sign of wealth, a sign of comfort, a sign that you triumphed over your victories. And this is how the Romans, for instance, would, would eat often. Um, and you'd invite all sorts to come to this meal. 
the Pharisee who threw this, and, and just let's have a, a quick moment to think about the Pharisees. These were uh, the religious leaders of the day. This was a religious community. Uh, the Jews were a re- religious nation. The, the culture of the nation was tied into their religious belief in a way that is quite foreign to us. But these were at the top of the pile of these religious leaders, and they were a, a very graceless elite community, a kind of self-appointed judge and jury over all things related to the re- religious life of of the nation. And they would really look down their noses uh, at anybody who didn't keep the very strict religious rules and regulations that the law required, but they had really added to those laws and, and made it uh, an impossible task to get anywhere near um, uh, complying with them. And so people were constantly feeling that they weren't really making it in terms of their religious life, in terms of their relationship to God, ultimately, I suppose. And um, so these wealthy, uh, this wealthy Pharisee had invited um, Jesus and others to this meal, to lie around this table. And what would happen is wealthy people would often invite people to, uh, influential people to their home for a meal. Um, and the invited guests would be the ones that were on these kind of extended beds, lounging around, enjoying the food. But actually, it was more more people in the room than that. These would be large rooms. And around the edge of the room, probably in semi-darkness away from the lit areas, um, others would gather to listen to the uh, kind of enlightened conversation, the intelligent people. The It's, it's like the uh, a little bit like the townsfolk coming to watch the wealthy eat. Um, you know, we find all that quite difficult, but that's that's what would be happening. So you've got a lot, a lot, probably quite a lot of people in the room. The focus of attention was on those lying around the uh, the, the tables in the centre. Jesus was invited to be part of of this. Now, as the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, uh, t- this was strained to say the least. Jesus really reserved his most vitriolic, really was vitriolic criticism for. The Pharisees as a whole. He called them at one time or another whitewashed tombs. He said, you look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, goodness, that is, that's pretty harsh. And then he also called them a brood of vipers. Basically, um, what he's criticizing them for is, is creating all kinds of laws and rules that keep people away from the presence of God. And of course, he had come God himself had come into the heart of this community, showing how far they had strayed from the heart of who God is. Jesus himself, the the embodiment of all the things that the Pharisees purported to support, there he was in the room with them. And they are creating laws to keep people away, as it were, for the presence of God. So there's the scene. I hope we've set the scene well. We understand what was happening here. The gathered uh, room was listening to what was happening. Um, Listen to the conversation. You know, they probably wouldn't have, those those around the edge of the room probably wouldn't have taken part, but they were, yeah, just thrilled to be there, I guess. Of course, no other entertainment really happening in a town or a village much. Um, uh, And so they would have pressed in no you know, no uh, media uh, to consume, but here it was. Here's the news of the day. They're going to come and hear what's going on. And into this setting, into this scene, round this table, this meal with Jesus and the Pharisee and others, 
at the table, more, more than one Pharisee, no doubt, comes this woman that the, the, the Bible describes as a sinner. And she would have been dressed in a way which we might, uh, you know, not in a way that we would particularly find offensive, but for uh, the sensibilities of the day, for the culture of the day, it would have been understood from what she wore uh, that she was a sinner, probably uh, a prostitute of some sort or another. It doesn't say how she came to be one or anything like that. It just describes her as a sinner. And she comes into the room and yeah, she brings with her as we've read, an alabaster jar, a very expensive jar of perfume, extraordinarily expensive. So, you know, many months' wages, maybe even years' wages would have gone to buy this thing. And, um, of course, you don't have uh, corked bottles or screw lids or anything like that. Basically, if you break this, if you break this jar, that's the whole thing is used in one go. And so very, very precious. And that's what she does. She breaks the jar and she washes Jesus feet and not only does she wash Jesus feet while he's at this table um, she she weeps as she's doing it and she she doesn't use uh, a towel or, or cloth to to dry his feet she uses her hair um, really a stunning moment imagine the scene the this, this room is now heavy with ex the smell of an ex very expensive perfume you couldn't have ignored it. You you know, the, the smells of the day would have been pretty pungent, mostly. Um, and so here was something that would just overridden all of those. And there she is doing something extraordinary. What, what, you know, hair was uh, to be let down, would only have happened within a, a marriage context. And here she is washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping away the tears and the perfume with her hair. It was shocking. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves is, why is it shocking? And why were the Pharisees so incensed by what happened? And then we need to look at why Jesus reacted differently. Uh, and then we'll learn something about what was going on here at this meal. So, I, I suppose, let's just deal with, with, with some current sensibilities, with kind of the culture that we're experiencing. So I suppose a cynical mind in our culture might comment on the headline, famous religious leader has feet washed by prostitute as not very surprising. We might think, oh, well, it's just we hear about this all the time. Um, um, and yet uh, we need to set some of those cultural sensibilities aside some of the things that we have got used to maybe sadly uh, because those days are not uh, these days i mean they, those days are not these days this was a very different cultural backdrop and even the pharisees themselves although they did accuse jesus of all kinds of things even in this moment they didn't accuse jesus of having a relationship with this woman at all um and and but interestingly they did accuse him of they said, "Don't doesn't he know who she is? If he's supposed to be a prophet, if he was a prophet, he would know that you know she's a sinful woman." Of course, Jesus knew exactly who she was, but he didn't stop her when he uh, when she washed his feet, um, and we'll understand why as we proceed through. Now, why were the Pharisees shocked? They, they pretended to be shocked because, oh, this is a terrible thing to happen. But why? We need to look at the detail of why might they have been shocked. Um, 
maybe they were sort of, well, well because religious leaders they, they they shouldn't associate with someone like that and uh, that might be the the sort of initial thing you know that that just shouldn't happen religious supposed to be holy and this woman clearly isn't holy so what on earth is he playing at um, what a ridiculous you know this it proves he can't be anyone important or he would have known that this wasn't the thing that you do remember of course that their thing was the appearance of holiness that was their thing that was the the pharisees raison d'etre their mo was to uh, was to put forward an image of of religious holiness uh, through laws and rules and what they wore and how they behaved, the way they talked, probably the tone of their voice. We kind of know something of this, don't we? If you've met very religious people who are a bit graceless, and you might have done, then you'll know something of this. I think I probably have it over the years a few times. And, uh, uh, you know, Lord, please you know, let that not be in our hearts, in my heart, that we would behave in such a way. But they were they were shocked. Um, she'd not been in, in invited and she clearly wasn't welcome you know that was that was also clear in the way that they spoke about her obviously in her presence um, their eyes as we've said were on the outward appearance on her past on the perception of who she was and what she represented on the negative effects uh, on them of associating with this dear lady but let's break that down a little bit so they were concerned about what she looked like how she <clears throat> presented herself she didn't fit the cultural profile for an acceptable dinner guest at a party like this and so she was rejected by them and the, the shock of what she did was all the more uh, terrible in their eyes secondly they were concerned with what she had done on her past. Her past behaviour made her uh, an unpleasant, her presence unpleasant for others. I, I don't want to be thinking about any of those sort of things, so I don't want to see her, was probably somewhere in the Pharisees' hearts as she uh, did uh, this act of worship, really, to, at Jesus' feet. Um, thirdly, they associating, associating with her Will, will look bad to others they might think badly about me of course tipping the lie that they felt badly about her so i don't if i'm seen with her what will other people think um, and that all tied together finally with what what will people think if all of these things are true and i'm seen with her in my house or you know anyway listen the, the none of this None of those reactions that are clear in the Pharisee's response to what she did paid any attention to this dear woman as a person. Someone made uh, in God's image, uh, an individual, someone worthy of honour and respect, someone no matter what she had done or how she presented, that is precious to God. And of course we see in the most graphic terms, precious to Jesus. Jesus is right there in the room reacting very differently and we begin to see something of God's grace towards us and towards this dear lady and it's very very beautiful you know they they didn't treat her as a person as an individual as I've said in God's image but they didn't either respond to what was happening inside her heart what might have been going on Jesus does but they the Pharisees don't 
uh, what is going on is clear repentance and a cry for forgiveness and acceptance, a cry for help. <laughs> That's what is happening. Pharisees are utterly disinterested in what's happening inside. Everything that they are offended at is external. They're not getting beyond it. They're, they're assuming that behind the external, um, they, they, they think they know that this is a, an evil uh, woman who hasn't changed, who has no intention of changing. But actually what Jesus sees is repentance. This is why Jesus goes on to tell a story about repentance and forgiveness. That's what the story is that he tells, um, you know, about the, the, the two, the moneylender and the debtor about the two debtors and it's important that we understand that this is a story about repentance and forgiveness that's what's happening here this woman in this act of worship is repenting she she, she recognizes the the true holiness not in the facade of the pharisees but in the heart and i guess in the eyes of jesus she knows she realizes here's the one who can actually do something about the condition that i find myself in and desperate to find forgiveness, she pours out her love and her tears and the perfume on Jesus' feet. Jesus tells the story to the Pharisees to expose their own hearts. So if, if you think you're bad, <laughs> I guess the story could be summed up like this. If, if you think you're bad, uh, uh, or if you don't think you're bad, rather, sorry, if you don't think you're bad, then you're not very grateful when you're forgiven. If you don't think you've done anything wrong and someone says i forgive you you're like of what i don't need to be forgiven i've done nothing wrong and i've had conversations with many over the years who would say that christians and and people who wouldn't say they're followers of jesus as well i don't need to be forgiven i've done nothing wrong um and and actually someone who doesn't think they've done anything wrong is unlikely to to seek forgiveness or to or to accept forgiveness when it's offered in fact you might even be offended by being offered forgiveness if you feel like actually I've done nothing wrong and that in the story is the position of the Pharisees we've done nothing wrong in fact we are very good people look at how we live look at how we give look at how we behave look at how we talk look at what we wear look at the laws we keep look at me I'm great I'm holy says the Pharisee in his heart but as the story unfolds if you know how far you have fallen you are extremely grateful when someone helps you up grace is very sweet to the repentant sinner who knows that she or he is helpless and hopeless uh, without a savior and i guess the the whole story the relationship kind of hinges um, on a passage that we read way back in the Old Testament, a, a declaration about how God sees people. And in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, the fa famous story where Samuel, this famous prophet, is anointing the next king of Israel, which is to be David. Um, and the, the, the summary of why he chooses David and not someone who looks more impressive, uh, one of David's brothers, is this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or his height or because of his stature, but... Uh, but I, I, because I've rejected him and so he's rejecting other brothers um, and he's focusing his attention on David for the Lord sees not as a man sees man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart 
See, God sees through the facade, sometimes the literal facade, sometimes it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's more metaphoric, isn't it? But God sees the heart. And again, as we said earlier, that can be both terrifying and reassuring. That God sees exactly what's happening in the heart, the motivations of our hearts. You see, the Pharisees, you know, they paid no attention to what was in, inside, which is why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. But they paid all their attention on what was external. They missed grace. They missed it because grace deals with what's inside. It doesn't pretend it's not bad, but it, 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 in telling you as, how bad it is, it also deals with it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, which is, uh, and yet they missed that. The Pharisees completely missed this glorious, transformational, internal work of, of complete restoration of making all things new. They missed grace and they missed it at their own table in their own home with Jesus at the table. They missed grace. Listen, brothers and sisters, we can miss grace too. Grace can be missed. Ultimate beauty can be missed. You can miss grace by looking at appearances and not looking at the heart. That's what the Pharisees did during this meal. They looked at what was external. They didn't see, like Jesus did, the heart of this dear woman. You could miss grace by worrying about what other people think rather than what God says. That's an easy one to fall, the trap to fall into. That's, again, the, the way the Pharisees worked. It was all about what others thought rather than what God had said. You can miss grace if you think, actually, that you are pretty good. You know, the, the sort of push of our society right now is to tell you how wonderful you all are. And, and in many ways, that's biblical. Yes, you are wonderful, but you're wonderful not because of your achievements. You're wonderful because you're made in God's image. You're wonderful and precious because you're his child. You're not wonderful because you're a very, very impressive and holy person or clever person or you've achieved a huge amount in your own, uh, with your own efforts. Um so you can miss grace where you, you push yourself forward, where you self-promote in a way that the Bible says is, is unhealthy and unhelpful because you miss the grace of God. You miss God's intervention. You miss what these, these, uh, these Pharisees missed around the table. And you can miss grace when you're busy looking down on others. The Bible says that God, dis that God hates haughty eyes. When our kids were little, we used to try and describe what haughty eyes were. And it's best described, I think, as looking down your nose at others, sort of with the, with the head raised in a sort of disgust, as if you've smelt something bad. Looking down your nose, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not like those, those unpleasant ones. And that's what the Pharisees had done. They thought... The Pharisees thought this was their table, their meal. It, it never was theirs. This, in a very real sense, was a communion meal. And this dear repentant woman was the honoured guest, not the despised usurper. They despised her. Jesus accepted her. They saw sinfulness. Jesus saw repentance. They went away with their sin intact bound to judgmentally look down their noses at others forever she 
was forgiven. She was free. Don't miss the grace of God around the table. That's what they miss. So how do we apply all this to our own lives and our own experiences? Well, I guess there are a few things that we could say in application. It's not your table. <laughs> when we gather for a meal, everything that's good, all the provision is from God. And that is often why, in fact, we'd say in our around our table every time we eat a meal, we, we say grace. We are saying, Lord, thank you that, and recognizing, thank you that you have provided all this good food. Thank you that it's from you. It's not the sweat of my brow that's forged it out of the soil or from the hard work or anything. No, this is ultimately a gift from God, and I want that acknowledged when I come to eat. Jesus said grace before he ate, just reminding us and everyone who's coming to eat where this food is ultimately coming from. So it's not your table. And that also means that who is invited around a table that doesn't belong to me. This We see from this story who Jesus wants at the table, the broken, the rejected, those who don't fit, those who wouldn't be invited to anybody else's house. Those are the ones that he wants to commune with, to have a meal with, to enjoy the company of, to lead them into the presence of God. It's not your food, <laughs> it doesn't belong to you either. It describes why we say grace before a meal, just acknowledging where it's coming from. It's not your meal. Communion, this meal that we're supposed to have every time we gather together, the Bible tells us. We have communion, I know, on a Sunday after a meeting. That was not really how this meal was instigated. It would have been around a gathered meal with other food on the table, not just bread and wine. And bread and wine have been part of the meal and what happens when you have bread and wine as part of a meal, it elevates this meal to be something holy, precious, with God in the midst. It's not your meal, it's his meal, when it becomes that kind of, of an event. Now all those things are true, but they it, it can be his meal. Every meal can be his meal. If we treat people and food and the context like Jesus did at this meal with the Pharisee. We can use our tables like the Pharisees used theirs or like Jesus used them. We can invite people because we think it will improve our social standing. We can invite people because we think it will look good on our Instagram feed if we eat with them or if we take pictures with them. So the townsfolk will see that we eat with the right people. That was what the Pharisees were thinking. Or we can invite people to a meal as an act of God's grace, recognizing I have been blessed, I want to bless others. Seeing like God sees, eating like God eats with sinners, experiencing grace and forgiveness together. I want to encourage us as a church, as we, as we stumble our way out of lockdown and are able to have people back in our homes, let's be a church that invites people to meals full of the grace of God. Don't just invite people because they might invite you back. Don't just invite people because, as I say, they're the right, the right people to invite. Invite people because you want to demonstrate, to express, to enjoy the grace of God around a table with people who God loves and cherishes.
Father, help us to be uh, like you around this table. Lord Jesus, help us to treat people the way you treat them. Help us to enjoy food together with people. Help us to have very long and wide tables, to enjoy fellowship and food and communion and enjoy God's grace with those right across the spectrum, enjoying all the wonderful variety of the people you've made, recognizing that some are caught in all kinds of behaviors, Lord Jesus, and yet precious in your sight and worthy of respect and worthy of your gospel. Amen.